This is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. I waited for him. Yes, it's been four decades since Jamie Lee Curtis escaped Michael Myers. And looks like she's going to have to do it all over again. A haunted Halloween. Who would like a book? Did you miss me? Everything comes alive as Jack Black is back in the role of writer R.L. Stein for Goosebumps 2. My job is to try and untangle the truth from the fiction. Martin Freeman is starring in a British horror film called Ghost Stories. It frankly looks terrifying. When I tried it, I felt better than I ever had, so... I just kept on doing it. And finally, breathe out, because something that won't scare the bejesus out of you is here. Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet in a family drama called Beautiful Boy. Hello, hello, my name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those. Luckily, Fari McIntyre and Michael Campbell both have. And a little later on, we've got a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass to give away, as always. But first... Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Laurie Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? Who the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. It's 1978 and a teenage Jamie Lee Curtis is running and stabbing and hitting and hiding her way to escape the seemingly unkillable Michael Myers in the original Halloween. Well, since then, we've had a number of Halloween movies, one in 2007 without Curtis, once in 1998 that was advertised as for the final time. So are we glad that Michael Myers has come back for more? Or have they taken it one step too far? What I like about what they've done here is there's such like a convoluted history of all the Halloween movies now. It went Halloween 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. They rebooted it and went uh, Halloween H2O, Halloween Resurrection, and they rebooted it and they went Halloween by Rob Zombie in a sequel to that. And now they've decided, you know what? We're starting again. This is just a sequel to the first one. So they've completely scrapped about eight films worth of Halloween movies now and they've just gone back to the start. For people that don't know, Halloween is all about Michael Myers. He is a man that as a child killed his sister with the butcher's knife. He's become mentally deranged and weirdly superhumanly strong and he's trying to kill Laurie Strode, who's Jamie Lee Curtis's character. Yeah, I have not seen any of the other Halloween movies. Yeah, neither. And nobody has seen this one either. They didn't do a pre-screening. The good thing about this particular new one is you don't need to. They just scrapped all of it Yeah, because it was so convoluted. It got to the point where the third Halloween movie, for instance, just didn't have Michael Myers. They just made a different movie and called it Halloween. Like the whole history of these movies was so confusing and so convoluted. And what I like is David Gordon Green, who weirdly is the guy that made Pineapple Express. Yeah. And Danny McBride, who is in Pineapple Express, just one day decided, you know what? We've got a cool idea for a Halloween movie. So they took it back to John Carpenter, the original director, and were like, what do you think of this as an idea? And he was like, I love it. Let's just do it. And they've just decided to just start again. This is the sequel now. So maybe I should see the first one because it's a sequel to that. But I was unaware that Jamie Lee Curtis was the original Laurie Strode in the first one. And this is set sequentially that amount of years from the first one from 1978 to now. And Michael Myers is like back to try and finish the job and kill her off. And the cool thing about Jamie Lee Curtis being in the original, because she was like 19 when she was in that first one. Yeah, 40 years ago. The whole thing was 
the 80s had this real boom of like slasher horror. Yeah. That's where like Freddy comes from and Jason and all of those. Halloween was like the very first one. And what gave them legitimacy because it's a really low budget film was that Jamie Lee Curtis is the daughter of Janet Lee, who is the scream queen from Psycho. She's the girl getting stabbed in the shower. Mm. So they had the next generation of Lee as their scream queen. So that kind of instantly gave them like credibility. Oh, wow. And then what I do know about the franchise is that in some of the sequels, they said that Michael Myers and Laurie Strode are related. Yes. But in this movie, they're like, nope, it was a rumor. It's not true. They're not related. It's fine. I saw that. In the trailer, there's a line with like, no, that's dumb. Yeah. (laughs) So they're just like everybody who made all of the other Halloween movies are wrong. Ours is the right one. Yeah, the mythology of the movies along the way got really convoluted. It got into like Druid curses and all kinds of nonsense. Paul Rudd is in one of them. What? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 Josh Hartnett. What about Josh, Josh Hartnett? Yes. And it was like his first film as well. He's like the most 90s haircut in the world. That's Halloween H2O. And Jamie Lee Curtis has both died and been resurrected already in this franchise. Hollywood's getting better at this of just being like, yeah, we ignore the crap ones. We've got a good idea now. Let's start again. Yeah, like what they did with X-Men. Oh, they keep doing it with X-Men. <laughs> yes. Every couple of years they're like, start again, start again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is this completely fresh? Is this like what if it happened when Jamie Lee Curtis was 60 years old instead of 20 years old? Or is it that uh, yes, it happened when she was 20 years old. Now she's 60 years old and it's happening again. It's a direct the sequel ladder. from Halloween. All you need to know about Halloween is it's the night Michael came home. That's the tagline of the movie. Michael Myers was from this small town. He murdered his sister when he was a child and was sent away. Then he escaped from his institution, donned the classic white mask and service station attendant uniform and went around killing teens. And the one he couldn't kill was Laurie Strode. Now, 40 years later, he's back to try and finish. All I can think about every time you say Michael Myers is that either Austin Powers or Shrek is going to burst through the front door (laughs) (laughs) with a knife. We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night. And has spent the last 40 years... In captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. (laughs) Here's another weird thing. I'm going to put this into people's head because now that I know it, I can't unsee it. The Michael Myers mask is actually a mask of William Shatner like a Captain Kirk mask that they painted white. So look at him next time and you can see the William Shatner face. And now that you know it, (laughs) you can't not see it. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, now William Shatner will be haunting your dreams forever. Not just with poetry. Yeah, another one of his spoken word albums. (laughs) So what are you excited about with this one other than the other ones? Because we haven't managed to see the film, they did release this extended clip. And this is what really sold me on it because I saw the trailers. I'm like, oh, yeah, Halloween. I get the franchise. It looks kind of cool. And I like that they've got like a fresh vision. But they released this clip and it's Halloween night and Michael Myers is looking for Laurie. And it's this amazing single take following Michael Myers through the neighborhood. And it doesn't cut for about four and a half minutes as he walks in through houses, up around stairs and all the kind of the near misses of, of people that are almost you know in his wrath. It's such a cool unique way to do that kind of ratcheting up the tension 
And it's also a callback to the original that starts with a very long single shot of teenagers in the house. I think the fact that they've taken that much care for it is fantastic. But what's most exciting is the reason they're doing things like that is because this is produced by Blumhouse, who are a really well-known production company for giving people a small budget and making them get real creative. And that's how you get movies like Get Out. So instead of going for like the big $150 million budget, which they could have done with such a recognizable name, they actually gave them a pretty small budget and were like, you have to get creative. You have to figure this out and make it as good as it can be. So who should see this film? Fans of the genre like Scream or Saw. So if you want a scary slasher film, not my kind of film. <laughs> I'm going to go see. I think this looks kind of cool. I like the idea of scrap it all. We've got a good idea. Let's just start again. And the fact that Blumhouse are producing it gives me a lot of faith in it. You discovered a walking, talking dummy and you didn't tell me? Okay, well, he seemed like a really nice guy at the start. To give you an idea of how much I don't like scary movies, I am even concerned about what I might see if I go to Goosebumps 2, which by all accounts looks like a fun romp, much like Jumanji, but starring Jack Black. So have I hit the nail on the head? Should I be scared? (laughs) No. You really shouldn't. I mean, maybe if you were 12, but maybe if you haven't seen a scary movie since you were 12, you would think this one was scary. That's me. You've just described me. (laughs) Okay, so maybe. (laughs) I didn't feel threatened when I saw this. So this one is about two kids, Sonny and Sam, who accidentally bring this ventriloquist doll back to life, who's Slappy, if you remember the first movie or if you've read any of the books. So it's all going well until Slappy decides to bring Halloween to life. So monsters and everything become real and the kids have to stop Slappy before he turns their mum into a monster. So Jack Black isn't actually in this for very long. It is about like the kids and their story and Jack Black kind of comes in towards the end. So he doesn't really star in it if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Do you know the reason for this as well? They didn't know whether or not Jack Black would actually come back for the sequel or not. So they wrote two scripts, one that had R.L. Stein as the main character and one that didn't. In the first one as well, he's not only R.L. Stein, but he's also the voice of Slappy. And with this second one, they thought, oh, he's actually not going to come back. And they were pretty much almost finished the film and he agreed, okay, you know what, I will come back. So they've added him into the third act of the film and they've actually redubbed all of the lines of Slappy. Originally it was a different actor. And if you watch the very first trailer of the movie, it's a different actor's voice. And they've then replaced him again with Jack Black. So you're right, he's, he's only ever in the third act and that's kind of this weird like contract dispute reason as well. So who replaces him then as like the big main star of this film? Surely not the kids. They need a big name to carry this, don't they? So it's not a big name, but one of the kids, Jeremy Ray Taylor, was one of the kids in It. Yeah, you know, I've only just realised that now that you told me. The brother of the older girl. Also, Ken Jeong is in it for a little bit. He's like this eccentric, crazy neighbour who has these huge... Halloween. He's from the Hangover movies. Yes. Yeah, uh, community, community, the TV. Yeah. It's got a quite yeah. a few good comedic actors. Even mm. Chris Parnell from you know Saturday Night Live oh, yeah. and 30 Rock, he pops up as well. It's got a really good yeah. comedic cast to it. Yeah, but they're all secondary characters to the kids. So yes. it's this older girl and her younger brother and her brother's friend and they're the central characters. Yeah. So it's cool to see this kids-driven story having the kids as leads. So is it sort of super bad, the nightmare edition? Uh, it's far more family-friendly <laughs> yeah. than something right. like super bad. <laughs> but, yes, I guess similar to like House with a Clock in Its Walls or I guess any Jack Black movie recently <laughs> yeah. where it's for kids so you're seeing it through the eyes of kids, which makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I don't think kids would relate to a middle-aged author like Jack Black as well as they might relate to a kid like them. <laughs> What are you doing in there? 
So you say, as opposed to Superbad, it is family friendly. How family friendly are we talking here? I think it's one of those things where it's, and this, I think Sony is good at this. So Sony, the people obviously releasing this movie, they make those kind of kids' films like Jumanji they made and, and Peter Rabbit. Um, they make these kids' films that kind of work on two levels. The kids will enjoy them because they're a bit silly and, you know, they've got giant gummy bears and whatnot, but there's enough humor in it for adults that maybe goes over the kids' heads that they can kind of appreciate as well. Like the kids aren't going to know who Ken Jeong or Chris Parnell are, but the adults will. And like yeah. I, I'm fans of those guys. So as soon as I see them, I'm like, sweet, I love these guys. And the kids are in it for the monsters and the, the yeah. whatever, but there's enough there for both. So I guess we've maybe addressed this, but who should see this film? Classic kids' horror. Kind of like It or Stranger Things, but way less scary. So it's aimed at a very young audience. Yeah, and I mean, if you like the first Goosebumps movie, which was so much better than I was ever expecting it to be, then I think that this one is just more of the same in a good way. My son has gone missing. Nicholas Sheff, S-H-E-F-F. There's no one by that name, sir. There are moments that I look at him, this kid that I raised who I thought I knew inside and out, and I wonder who he is. I thought we were close. I thought we were closer than most fathers and sons. Why? I felt better than I ever had, so I just kept on doing it. This isn't us. This is not who we are. My son is out there somewhere, and I don't know what he's doing. I don't know how to help him. All right, finally, not a horror. Beautiful Boy is a family drama based on the memoirs of a father and son. It stars three Academy Award nominees and a Golden Globe winner, including Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. And the trailer looks like they'd all like some more nominations, please. (laughs) But is it more than just an Oscar tugger? I hope so because I don't want to see a scary movie this week and this is my last option. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you want to cry, Kyron? That's the real question here because this one is an emotional The truth is yes, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. This is a really affecting film, but it's a really beautiful film as well. So it's based on two memoirs. So David Sheff and Nick Sheff. So David Sheff was a sports journalist and Nick Sheff was his son. And Nick Sheff went through this life-altering drug addiction and it's the search, David Chef searching for his son over the course of several years, the relapses back into drugs, and it's about their personal relationship. So they've adapted both of the novels. One was from David's point of view and one was from Nick's, and they've combined it into this movie. So the film shows both the father and son perspectives, so it sort of moulds together the two memoirs so you see both sides of their stories. It goes to some dark places, but at the end of the day it is a celebration of life. And what I think it does best is break down any prejudice people might have about addiction being a moral failure and that they present it more as a disease and it can get anyone. Nick Chef had a fine childhood. He has a loving, wonderful family. There was nothing wrong in his life and he just sort of seemed to try drugs once and then it progressed from there and then he got addicted to meth and then it just sort of snowballs and he goes through this cycle of getting addicted and, and relapsing and recovering and it's just this roller coaster of emotions for the characters and for the audience. And for the father and of that side of the story as well because, like, there's a line in the trailer that really grabbed me which was, I can't, you know, paraphrasing, but, you know, he went through a good school and had a good grades and everything and I wanted so much for him and now I just don't want him to die. The opening of the film is Steve Carell in a doctor's office and he's just he's just wanting to know what's happening in his son's body. And it's this idea that he is almost 
feeling what his son is going through, even though he's not going through it as well. He's researching as much as he can. He wants to know every little detail about what could be happening to his son. He just wants to understand it more than anything. That's what it is. It's like a search for understanding for Steve Carell's character. And it's like a search for meaning for Timothy Chalamet's character. It's hard as hell to get sober. But I love my family. I want them to be proud of me. I understand how scared you are. It'll pass, though. It always does. These are two very big names at the moment in cinema, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. Let's talk about both their performances. First of all, how's Carell? It's weird seeing him in a serious role. Most people would know him for his comedies, uh, like for The Office and things, but he has done dramatic acting before, like The Big Short, Battle of the Sexes and Foxcatcher, and I really much prefer his serious acting. He was actually even Academy Award nominated for Foxcatcher. Not only is he an amazing comedic actor, but it, it turns out that when he turns it on, he's an amazing dramatic actor as well. And in this movie? Amazing. From scene one, that opening scene described earlier where he goes to the doctor to find out, just watching him slowly through that scene break down. He starts very confidently and then throughout the scene, there's just little hints that something's not quite right. Until the end, he finally says, my son is addicted to methamphetamine. I want to know what's going on. And he's just, you know, what he is more than anything, I think, is he's really, really vulnerable. You always feel like he's just on the precipice of, of it being all too much for him. And he really rides that line beautifully. He's really good in this. And so what about Timothy Chalamet's performance? Is he up for an Oscar? I think definitely, yeah. And he was already nominated, what, two years ago for Call Me By Your Name. And he was, I think... 19 or 20 at that time and he's only really gotten better like this is a much meatier role he's it's similar to what Leonardo DiCaprio did now that I'm thinking about it after Gilbert Grape when he got the nomination he did Basketball Diaries which is a very kind of hardcore drug addicted movie maybe it's like a trajectory they put people on to be like (laughs) you want to be a prestigious actor this is the second film you do the drug film the DiCaprio model yeah the DiCaprio model he's fantastic like he's such a natural talent so is this just an entirely depressing movie (laughs) Is there is there a, an uplift in it or are we just going to walk out completely, you know, like ruinous for the day, for the rest of the day? I hope I'm not spoiling anything when I say that Nick Sheff wrote this book, yeah. so he's okay. <laughs> so, you know, you're not, it's, yeah. not, it's not too tragic. Um, I'd say it's in the category of like that kind of beautifully melancholy, if that's not mm-hmm. too pretentious a way to put it. It's, it is sad, sure, but it's it's also very beautiful. The message is about unconditional love. And that's a great message. So who should see this film? Yeah, anyone with a heart, I think. Okay. <laughs> but it's a really good movie. It's certainly more like kind of prestige drama. If that kind of thing sounds good to you, you like these award season movies, then this is really, really good. Yeah, if you want to maybe learn something about addiction as well and see just some really raw, real acting and you love Steve Carell's serious roles, this one is just a heart-wrencher. Also in cinemas this week, A Star is Born. Yes, beautiful movie with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And 1%. A dark Australian crime drama about bikey gangs. And you can hear about both of those by clicking on the previous episode in whatever podcast app that you're in right now. Hello? Is anyone there? The spirit. The, spirit. the unquiet spirit. Lights are on, but he's home. No, you still there. You don't believe, do you? Hey, 
Okay, just quickly before we go, and let it be known that I'm bloody hating this episode. I think next year, when we end of at the end of October, when that swings around, it might be time for a guest host. Uh, <laughs> Is this the worst handle. week of the year for you? Surely it must be. <laughs> I honestly didn't make it through the trailer of this one. So other than it stars Martin Freeman, I know nothing. So I'll block my ears and you tell us what Ghost Stories is about. <laughs> this one is about Philip Goodman, who's played by Andy Nyman, and he's a professor trying to debunk three unexplained incidents of the supernatural. So he goes on a trip to investigate these cases, but things start to get creepy and he discovers things that maybe science can't explain. It's like this ghost story, I guess, three different cases that this guy has gone to try and debunk but actually maybe doesn't because there's all these like creepy things happening. So it seems like, you know, you've got your American horror, which is like sort of slasher, and this feels like the British do something a little bit different. Is that right? Yeah. So the British do horror very differently. They use a lot of the best of the horror tropes that are uniquely British. So there's this mysticism, this atmospheric feeling about the movie. They use a really beautiful soundscape. They use local landscapes like mist-covered moors. It's always set near cliffs. Always set near cliffs. And what's kind of cool about this movie is the way that the plot is set up is he debunks mysteries and the guy that he looks up to uh, through his whole career says, well, these are the three I could never solve. You take your turn. And then he goes and he talks to each of these people and they tell him their stories. So then it's almost like a sequence of short films where each one is kind of different and you're kind of getting three mini horror movies throughout the movie. We've talked about a lot of scary movies today. We've got the kids one, Goosebumps. We've got Slasher and Halloween. And this sort of uh, horror is a portmanteau horror, which I hope I'm saying right, which is a genre that uses an anthology of story segments laced together with a central premise. The first of its kind was produced in 1945. Examples like Dead Time Stories from 2011, Sin City and Pulp Fiction use the that sort of uh, genre. Yeah. Also uh, Love Actually and yeah. Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. Yeah, okay, I was and- using scary examples. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Professor Philip Goodman. I'm here today to share three apparently supernatural incidents with you, all of which seem deeply troubling. So here's the thing about this movie. It's very cerebral. And when I first came out of it, and I saw it maybe two weeks ago now, when I first came out, my first thought was, that was weird. And I had to think about it. And I I actually sat on this film and it didn't leave my mind for a long time. And I wasn't sure whether I got it. I wasn't sure whether I'd missed something. I'm not sure. And then the more I thought about it, the more it fell into place for me. To the point where now I actually think, I think this film was brilliant. It it may actually be brilliant, but it's not a film, like walking out of it, it just kind of washes over you and you're like, man, what just happened? What was that? And then it's one of the things like you'll think about a scene and you go, hang on, no, that connected to this scene and oh, this is brilliant. And the way that these three stories all do kind of intersect with one another is really brilliant. I will say it's got an ending that you're either going to love or you hate. I really loved it. But the more I think about it, the more I think that this film might actually be brilliant. (laughs) Oh, good. My only disclaim would be that if you're really into the slasher kind of horror like a Halloween, this is way the other end of the spectrum, maybe more of a hereditary. It'll get in your mind and it'll stay there kind of Yeah, horror. it's not gory. but Kyron, you should definitely see one. it. Okay, good. Noted. Who should see this film? I think if you're looking for a, a horror movie that is unlike any other horror movies coming out recently, but it's one that you're going to have to sit with and really think about, then this is a movie for you. 
Okay, I'll stay away. <laughs> For your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, go to Facebook or Instagram and leave a comment on the Cinema Crew post and tell us what's the scariest film you've ever seen. For me, that's like Toy Story 3. Next week, Bohemian Rhapsody. I've wanted this movie since I was 10 and was my own lead singer of Queen. It's the story of Freddie Mercury. And Hunter Killer. Now, I'm just going to read you the synopsis here. An untested American submarine captain teams with US Navy SEALs to rescue the Russian president who has been kidnapped by a rogue general. I mean, wow. Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Vari. Thank you. I'm Karen Wheatley, and we'll see you, or at least you'll hear us, next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. 